Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and this is Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 65. In this episode, um, I'll discuss the differences and some similarities between dividends and distributions. Is there much of a difference? And what are the major similarities? Um, now, I actually didn't know the finer details of this until, you know, relatively recently, because often I find, certainly in the financial literature, they're often used in the same context um, and used synonymously, but in reality, they are actually quite different. Now, if you're new to the channel, uh, the aim of this podcast channel is to get you to learn about concepts in personal finance. Now, the aim is education, the aim is learning, and it's a dual um, sort of, um, you know, two-way street learning. Um, I learn because, you know, when I put out episodes, I do some research myself. So sometimes even uh, topics that I knew quite well, when I research them again, I learn something new. Hopefully, you also learn from listening to the podcasts um, and hopefully you're applying some of these principles, uh, which may be relevant to your own personal financial situation. And when you ask me questions via Facebook or CastBox or email, etc., and when I answer them, I learn as well, and you are able to educate me. So it is a two-way street. But the aim here is for all of us to be more educated and empowered about personal finances So when we sit down with our accountants or even lawyers or financial advisors or financial planners, we have some idea about the basic concepts because personal finances is not that difficult provided you have access to information that's reliable and accurate. Now, having said that, I'm not a financial advisor or an accountant or a planner, nor do I claim to be. Heaps of people message me asking for advice, and I make it very clear that I'm just an ordinary citizen who is keen to learn more about personal finances myself, and that includes debts, uh, investing, saving, etc., and insurance, of course. So please consult a professional when making important financial decisions in your personal life. Don't take it from a random podcaster on the internet, but having said that, what I want you to learn from these podcast channel is the basic concepts of personal finance. Now, I've just returned from uh, what I would probably say a well-deserved break. Um, It's been an absolutely busy 2019, um, and here we are. It's already 2020, and uh, to be honest, January is almost over, which is um, slightly freaky in my opinion, but, uh, it was a, it was a beautiful holiday and, uh, but it's nice to be back home. Uh, there's nothing, nothing as special as home in my opinion. Um, but, uh, it was always nice to, um, uh, to have a bit of a break and have some family time. Um, but of course, um, you know, that doesn't mean that the learning of personal finances, 
um, uh, stops. You know, while I was on holiday, I, I created this episode, so I'm constantly learning myself. But before we get to the main topic uh, of dividends and distributions, in my humble opinion, I think there are five fairly simple ground rules when it comes to managing one's personal finances, and that is the pay-yourself approach, which is step one. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it away for yourself. Do this first when you get paid. Don't leave it till last. Um, Now, if you can't do 20%, it's okay to do 5%. It's okay to do 10%. And then slowly you can work your way up to 20%. Uh, If you can do more than 20%, great. But remember, this is after-tax income, not gross income, especially if you're a contractor. Step two, invest that 20% into something you love and understand. If you don't understand something, don't invest in it. Don't do it because you read it on the internet. Don't do it because your family member told you of a hot stock tip. Don't do it because Devraga told you to do so. You may have noticed I never tell people to do anything on these podcast episodes because I don't know your personal financial situation. If you're unsure, learn about broadly diversified index funds. That's a very, very good start. Step three, you will get dividends from those investments. You will get distributions from those investments. In other words, you'll get some sort of an income from it, I hope. So make sure you reinvest those back into your portfolio. If you invest in individual stocks, make sure you tick dividend reinvestment plan. If you invest in broadly diversified index funds, make sure you tick dividend reinvestment plan. Most of the time in Australia, it is the default. It is already ticked when you uh, first apply uh, for investment plans. Step four, always invest for the long term. Now, people ask me about, uh, just recently, I got a couple of Facebook messages. Hey, Devraga, what about investing for three years? I'm saving for a house. I've got some money piled up. Should I put it into the stock market uh, and then see what happens after three years? Now, I get a bit nervous um, uh, because the stock market is volatile. Have a look at what's happened in the last sort of 12 months, up 20 plus percent. But have a look at what happened in the GFC, down 50 percent. So I think three years is just too short term. So my sort of, you know, layman's advice would be, no, save more money, put it into a stable savings account. You earn a pittance in terms of dividends or interest. Doesn't matter, but your money is safe. And of course, the government guarantees up to $250,000, and this all came out because of the GFC, uh, of your own money deposited in a bank in the event that the bank goes bust. But if you're investing, though, um, you really should be thinking long-term. And I'm talking 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years. Anything less than, you know, 7 to 10 years really isn't investing. It really is speculation. Step five, my favorite, is always automate it. Now, I've just come back from holiday, as I said, and guess what? My investments were still happening, despite me being overseas. My bills were still being paid. Everything is automated. I don't need to worry about it while on holiday. I don't need to think about it. It just happens. It just makes it a lot easier not to miss any important investments. Had I not invested while I was overseas, I would have missed out on huge stock market returns, particularly in that couple of weeks I was away because the stock market has just gone crazy. But I kept investing, and I have benefited. Um, I kept investing all of last year. I benefited, because now the stock market is the highest it's ever been. So, again, don't 
uh, manually invest. I, I feel you need to come up with a automated system to be able to do it. And I do it online. Everything's be paid. Everything's set up automatically. So let's talk about dividends and distributions. What are the similarities? What are the differences? And does it really matter for long-term investors? And then a side topic of that is we'll talk a little bit about franking dividends and franking credits and why it was so controversial in the last federal election and why it's an absolute crown jewel in the Australian context. For you overseas listeners, this may not apply to you, the franking dividends and credits, but the Australian system is an absolute goldmine for local investors. Now, previously, I have discussed dividends in episodes 24 and 31. So if you haven't yet listened to these episodes, I think it's worthwhile paying attention to them. If you haven't figured it out already, I think if you're a new listener to this channel, you should go back to episode one because each episode tends to build on each other. And the first 10 episodes are probably the most important. That is your foundations. And everything after that is for interest sake and for nitty gritties and detailed analysis. Okay, so don't start from, you know, episode 65 and then randomly listen to episode 24. I think you should start from the start and then work your way up because that kind of makes sense. That's just the way that I've designed this podcast channel. Now, in terms of shares and dividends, let's let's talk about that a little bit. When you buy a share on the stock market, you are buying a share of a company. That is, you're you're physically buying. Well, you're not physically owning, you know, the M sign of a McDonald's or whatever. But you're you're you're, you're literally owning a part of a business. So each share has a cost. This is called the share price. You can make money on shares or the share market if the value of the company increases with time, which means the price of the share that you bought also increases with time, okay? Because you're buying a piece of a company, you know, metaphorically speaking. Mm. This is called capital gains uh, on the share price. Now, refer to the previous episode, which is episode 64 on capital gains and losses, okay? But there is also another way to make money from owning shares, and this is called dividends, A dividend is when a company, and of course you own part of a company via shares, rewards you with a share of their profits. This is called an income return. So we've talked about capital gains and we've talked about the income return potential of a dividend. So there's two main ways. Again, reiterating, repetition. You might have noticed my podcast has a lot of repetition because you need to ingrain yourself in these concepts. The first way to make money on shares is capital gains, i.e. the price of the shares goes up. And the second way to make money from shares is an income return. That is, the company pays the shareholders a dividend as a reward from their profits. Okay, so remember that dividends from shares or dividends from companies can go up over time or can go down over time. And we'll talk about this a little bit later in this episode. So does that mean a company has to pay dividends to their investors, to their shareholders? Well, the answer is no. A company can retain all of its earnings and profits and then use that to reinvest it into the company and grow the company. So companies that do this are often young and don't pay dividends. I don't mean the people that work in those companies are young. What I mean is it's newly formed companies, okay? This is because they see paying dividends to shareholders as a way of eating up their profits because they're in the early stages of their business and they're in the early stages of growth. 
So you don't want to eat up your profits. You want to grow the business. You want to grow the value of the company. And therefore, that's what the shareholders may want because their share prices will go through the roof. Now, what is an example of such a company in the United States? Tesla. If you have a look at their share price, it's absolutely skyrocketed in the last six months. They don't pay a dividend, but if you're a Tesla shareholder, um, then you have done extremely well. Um, you know, people that have bought when it floated have just made a killing. You know, potentially you're a multimillionaire just because of the ride of the share market, particularly for the Tesla shares. So, if you're an investor investing in growth companies like Tesla, etc., um, you can't really expect a dividend, but what you can hopefully expect over the long run is capital growth. But what happens mainly in Australia is that mainly companies make a profit and then allocate a portion of their profits to dividends and then retain the rest of the profits to reinvest into the company. And this gives the shareholders the best of both worlds. So dividends are something investors look forward to, and this is one of the primary reasons for such investors to retain shares in specific companies. An Australian stock market is unique because Australian companies pay really good dividends compared to American companies or countries uh, or, or companies in other countries. Okay, so Telstra in Australia is a very good example for the overseas listeners. Telstra was a publicly owned. A telecommunications company, which has been privatized in the 90s. Um, and basically, it's a good example of a company that has paid reasonable dividends in the long term, but not their value because it hasn't really increased in share price value at all in the last 25 years. In fact, I think it probably has decreased. I'm not sure. I don't invest in individual stocks. Now, the big four banks, um, the BHP, the, the Rio Tintos and the West Farmers, they all pay great dividends to shareholders. Um, in Australia, we have great companies that pay great dividends around 4% per annum on average, which is pretty good compared to the rest of the world. So why are dividends important? Dividends are important because of the low interest rate environment we are currently in. So let's use an example, right? Suppose you have $100,000 to invest in. Quite a lot of money. Uh, it's just a, you know, a, a fake scenario, but uh, just bear with me, okay? So what are your options? You can invest in the stock market. Um, you can invest in the bond market, okay? Uh, you can invest in just by putting it into a high interest savings account, uh, which is not much in Australia might be getting 1% or 2% of that. You can buy a house. You can invest in the property market, uh, which is residential or commercial or even REITs. Um, I've talked about REITs and specifically in previous episodes. Um, you can invest in other things like commodities or gold or silver or forex or cryptocurrency. You have a lot of choices to invest them in. If you look at the income return potential, don't worry about the capital growth, but if you look at the income return potential in each of those sectors... A 4% dividend rate with a stock portfolio seems fairly attractive, particularly in the low interest rate environment. So the yields of these other investments, the yield meaning the yield of income that that particular investment returns you every year, is not that great for everything else apart from the stock market, right? Now, at the end of the day, your money, when you think about it, is meant to be working for you. Remember, you go to work, you earn all that hard money, you blood, sweat and tears into doing that. So you want to invest that money, send it out, and when it returns back to you, hopefully you get that money back, it appreciates in value, and you get income and it makes more money for you. 
So not the other way around, right? So if you send your money for work for you, the better investment is when the money returns with more money over a set period of time. That includes capital growth, but also income return. So why send it out to speculative investments like cryptocurrency, which has no dividends, or the bond market, which has very small dividends or very low interest rates, uh, when you can earn a better return in the stock market? So that's why traditionally, and this is particularly true also in the United States, but certainly true in Australia, the dividend yield and the overall capital growth in the stock market over the last 50 years um, has been very, very good in Australia. But... Are dividends the holy grail? Absolutely not. Investing only for dividends can be a loser's game. Okay, let's use an example to highlight this, right? Supposing you have $100,000 to invest. You have two options. Invest in company A, each share is worth a dollar, with a dividend yield of 4%, that is $0.04 per share. So the total investment will get you about 100,000 shares, with a yield of about $4,000 per annum. You can take that $100,000 and invest in company B, where each share is only 50 cents, with a dividend yield of 6%, which is pretty good. Total investment now becomes 200,000 shares, with a yield of $6,000 per annum. Okay, so now you're getting $6,000 per annum, with company A, you're only getting $4,000 per annum. Now, if I was a dividend investor and just looked at dividends, I'd invest in the 6% yield stock. Great. $6,000 per annum, I'm getting extra income. Now, watch what happens. Supposing company A, which only pays 4% dividend, share price rises to $2 in one year's time, the dividend yield at 4% per share is now 2%. Notice it's still $0.04 cents per share. So the absolute dividend hasn't changed, but the dividend yield has now lowered to 2%. So if you're only investing for dividends, you will look at this company, which is now appreciated by 100% over 12 months, you look at this company and say, well, the yield is only 2%. It's gone down from 4%, so that's bad. But the reality is the company's stock has doubled in one year. So compare this to company B, whose share price is still $0.50 cents per share, with a dividend yield of 6%. So let's do some calculations. Company A is now worth $2 per share. You have 100,000 shares, so the total value is $200,000. And the dividends after one year is $4,000. So your total value, including capital appreciation, for company A, your portfolio, is now $204,000. You started off with 100k. And now it's 204K. That's a huge return. Have a look at what happens to company B, which has a higher yield. It's still worth 50 cents per share. You have 200,000 shares and so more shares. Fantastic. So total value is still only $100,000. Dividends after one year is $6,000. So your total value after 12 months for company B is $106,000. So if you were just a dividend investor, if you just looked at dividends, you would have lost $100,000. That's why being a dividend investor is good, but you need to look at what you're investing in. If you're a dividend investor that pays, you know, that, that invest in companies that pay great dividends, but the company is really bad, then overall you're going to lose out. So, you know, uh, dividends only and the return or the yield is, you know, is, is, is only not a, 
not a marker of a good company. Okay, so you you got to still do your analysis if you're an individual stock investor. Now, I'm not an individual stock investor. I only invest in index shares, so this sort of thing kind of doesn't apply to me because I just you know invest in the Australian stock market and overall. They pay a dividend rate of about 4%. So I know that if one stock goes down, the other one comes up, all that sort of stuff sort of averages out to about 4% per annum, which is why I've used the 4% you know, um, sort of benchmark. Uh, when I look at my dividend portfolio and my, and my distribution portfolio, 4% seems to be a pretty good rate of return. Furthermore, though, the other thing is dividends are not 100% guaranteed, right? It really depends on how the company is doing. If a company is doing really bad... They can cut the dividends, okay, or eliminate them altogether. This actually happened during the GFC with some of the Australian companies and certainly happened in the American companies. So companies can't pay dividends if they're not making profits, if they're losing money or the value of the company goes down um, and the profits have shrunk due to global economic conditions. So you want to invest in companies that grow in value but also pay good dividends and over time, every year, every three years, whatever it is, the dividends increase, right? If you look at the big banks like Commonwealth Bank and NAB, etc., they make huge amounts of profits. Australian banks, uh, for overseas listeners, you might not know this, Australian banking sector is one of the most profitable segments in the world, and they pay great dividends, and they often increase the dividends because they profits are just growing year on, year on, and they want to share that with their shareholders as a as a value system, as a bit of a reward system, okay? So why are dividends very important in the long-term investing sector? Well, dividends are very important in the long-term investing sector is because of the power of compounding. Let's use an example. Company value, uh, sorry, company A, which is valued at a dollar per share, you buy $100,000 worth of shares, so you get 100,000 shares. Each year, dividend yield is 4%, so there's $4,000 per annum. After year one, you would have earned $4,000 in free money. You should reinvest that $4,000 into the company. This is where dividend reinvestment comes in. That is, uh, I always talk about it in my step three of my five-step plan. This means after a year, you have 4,000 more shares, and the total portfolio is now 104,000 shares. Guess what? You earn 4% uh, dividend yield on the extra shares as well. So now the total dividend at the end of year two is approximately 4160 You've received $160 in extra dividends from all the extra shares you purchased by reinvesting the dividends from the first year. Total portfolio value now is $108,160, so the total number of shares is roughly 108 shares. 108,000 shares, beg your pardon. At the end of year three, this now becomes 112486 you now own 112,000 shares or roughly thereabouts, okay? So this is how compounding wealth happens because over the three years, you've had $12,000 roughly or a little bit more of extra income and you've used that income to buy more shares and hopefully in that three years, the share value has gone up and hopefully in that three years, the dividend yield, uh, sorry, the dividend rate has gone up as well. So this is how compounding wealth happens and the sooner you start the more powerful it becomes, okay? It's a very similar concept to compounding interest. So that's dividends. What is distributions? Well, distributions are similar to dividends in that you still get an income return from companies, but usually distributions are given out by mutual funds that you own, like index funds, etc., or exchange-traded funds that you may own. 
Okay, so if you own the ETF ASX 200 um, from you know beta shares or whatever, you will you will get a yearly or even a quarterly distribution depending on how the index fund or ETF is actually structured. So let's use an example to highlight this. Right. So again, you have the hundred thousand dollars to invest. You want to invest in mutual fund company A, where each unit is valued at a dollar. Notice now it's units, not each share. Very very similar. You buy 100,000 units in that mutual fund with that $100,000. Supposing that mutual fund now owns the top 100 companies in the ASX, okay? Um, so it's the ASX 100 index fund, for example, or ETF. Come dividend time, you would have an absolute nightmare if you had to collect dividends from all of the 100 companies and send them back to you. That would just be an administrative nightmare. If you had 100 different stocks... That's what you would need to do, or that's what the stock, you know, broker or your financial planner or whatever, you know, you've got to add up all those dividends from each of those companies, keep track of them, etc. It'd be just be a nightmare. If you just put an index fund or an ETF, it's all kind of all done for you. So essentially, what happens with mutual funds is that the dividends or income per share or per unit is paid out to the mutual funds, and that other income is also included. And this is collectively called a distribution. So distribution is not just dividends. It's got other income added to it. So in essence, um, distributions include dividends along with other sources of income. So what other sources of income are included in a distribution if you own an ETF or an index fund? Well, they include dividends, okay? They also include something called franking credits, okay? Dividend investors are also eligible for this and I'll discuss about it a bit later in this episode. They also receive other income streams like interest payments, particularly for index funds, which have bonds, or ETFs, which are bond funds. And they also receive other income like capital gains, which are realized, in other words, from buying and selling of units under underlying shares or rebalancing. Okay. And lastly, you also get income derived from foreign, foreign sources. It's called foreign income. Uh, any funds, basically, which own foreign companies or foreign shares. So a distribution is basically like a package to include all of the above, okay? So all of dividends, all of franking credits, any other interest payments, any capital gains which are realized and any foreign sources of income. Whereas a dividend uh, only has two elements, which is basically the dividend itself and the franking credit associated with that dividend, Okay. A distribution includes that plus some more. Now, in essence, um, dividends and distributions potentially can be used synonymously, but the nitty-gritty people, the purists, would say, well, that's not actually true. Distributions have other income associated with it. Okay, That is primarily the difference, and that is also primarily the similarities. Then what are franking credits? Let's talk about that a little bit before we finish up. This is the crown jewel in Australian investing, uh, we have a very unique franking credit and refund system. Okay, Now, the rationale for the franking credit system is to avoid double taxation. Australia is one of the few countries in the world that has a system. It's very lucrative. It's very advantageous. And uh, you know whether you in, invest in index funds or ETFs or if you're a, if you're a, uh, have a have a have a, a stock portfolio of individual shares. Uh, you really should be looking at this and making sure that you're maximizing and utilizing the benefits of franking dividends and credits. Remember that dividends are paid out from the company's after-tax profit, right? So this means that each dividend must have had a tax component of it already paid to the ATO, 
which is the Australian Taxation Office for overseas listeners, on behalf of the shareholder. So the ATO is kind of like the IRS in the US. So the company attaches a credit, this exact amount equivalent paid to the ATO on a per share basis. Okay, so when you get your dividend, which is after tax profit, which is then distributed to the investors, when you get your distributions, the company that's giving you that dividend, well, part of that money um, is after tax as well, right? Because the company must have paid tax on your behalf. So the company then attaches a credit. That's called a franking credit, okay? So when they're paying you dividends, which is franked, in other words, after tax, they include a franking credit. So that's why it's called franking dividend and franking credit for that dividend on a per share basis. Now, because dividends are accessible income, right? So you can't just, you know, get dividends from companies and not tell the ATO. As an individual investor, you need to declare that as an accessible income. Um, so you need to include it in your total income for the financial year. The franking credits attached to that can be used to offset your tax liability when you do your taxes. All right? So here's the beauty of the system. If your franking credits is equal to your tax liability or more than your tax liability, this means you pay no tax, or better yet, the government refunds the excess tax paid on your behalf back to you. Someone asked me this question on Facebook, oh, what are franking credits and franking dividends? And that's one of the sort of reasons I created this podcast to sort of lead into that, because I think it's a very important concept that you need to get your head around. Now, historically, before the year 2000, this was not possible. In other words, if you had more franking credits than what your tax liability happened, you can't claim a refund of the excess credits. Uh, but John Howard, uh, who was probably the longest serving prime minister, I think, historically uh, in the 2000s, um, basically changed that. His government changed it, said, no, 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 you should be able to get franking refunds. Okay, So you get a tax refund um, as a result of all this. This was a major debacle of the large last federal election in Australia. The Liberal Party, and I don't like talking about politics on uh, on podcast channels, but basically the Liberal Party, which is a conservative party in Australia for overseas listeners, played this card really well and scared the heck out of investors when the Labor Party or the Progressive Party um, basically said, no, no, we're going to cut franking refunds. Uh, but that sort of got twisted into, oh, no, franking dividends and franking credits are at risk, and everyone got really, 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 you know, uh, you know, probably unfairly uh, got nervous, and as a result, Bill Shorten, who was a leader of the Progressive Party or the Labor Party, um, basically lost the unlosable election, and the Conservative Liberal Party, um, you know, came to power again. So they just didn't play their cards right, the uh, the progressives, and didn't downplay the situation enough. And in all honesty, this whole situation only affects a very, very small percentage of taxpayers, okay? Confused yet? Let's use an example. But let's use a very, very simplified example, okay? Supposing you own a company, and uh, it pays you $700 in dividends, fully franked. Remember, the company has paid you the dividend using their after-tax profit, which means part of the dividend which you were entitled to in the first place is missing due to the taxation. The company taxation in Australia is a flat rate of 30%, and this means the company must have paid $300 tax on your behalf as well. So it's a very simple example, so bear with me. This means the company can attach a franking credit of $300 to the franking dividend because it's a fully franked dividend. Now, 
Let's not complicate it. Let's keep the dividends fully franked. Sometimes it's called partially franked. Sometimes it's unfranked. So you need to be investing in companies or you know, funds that have franking dividends, which is, which is good. In other words, if the company paid the dividend to you before taxes, before they pay their taxes, they would have had to pay you $1,000. $700 is what you've got paid after taxes, but they would have attached a $300 credit. So they need to pay you $1,000 in unfranked dividends, which is before tax. But because they've paid, you, paid your taxes already on behalf of you, they would have paid $300 in taxes and only paid you $700 to you as a franking dividend. And why 300 and 700? Because the company taxation is 30%. So in your income tax return at the end of the year, because you've now received $700, you must declare the total income as $700 in franking dividend plus $300 in franking credit. That is your total income of dividends is $1,000. And this is where the franking credit comes in. Supposing your personal income taxes is very high, so you pay 45% income tax rate, marginal tax rate in Australia, then you would have owed $450 on tax on that full dividend which you may have received, which is $1,000, right? Which means um, because the company has already paid 30% taxation and your marginal tax rate is 15%, out of the extra income that you've now earned out of the 1000 bucks. Um, and the 700 that you've got, the company's already paid the $300 in taxation, so you only have to pay an extra 150. In other words, 45% marginal tax rate minus the 30% tax rate that the company has already paid on your behalf. Now, if we didn't have this system, then the company would have to pay 30% tax on their profits, therefore only pay you the $700 in dividends, and then on top of that, you would have to pay another 45% taxation on that dividend, so you, you see how the franking credit that the company has given you means that you only pay the difference. You only pay the 15% difference um, uh, between your marginal tax rate and the company tax rates. So in other words, you're only liable now for $150 in taxation, right? This is how franking credits reduces your tax liability. Now, if you're a share market investor and you haven't really learned about this already, go back to your portfolio and have a look at your tax statements, and you would see a line called franking credits and franking dividends, and see how your accountant has applied that to your personal taxation situation. You might actually pleasantly surprised how much tax you might have actually saved. Now, this is legal. This is not illegal. This is the law in Australia. This is what is allowed. Um, and it was actually first introduced, the franking credit system was first introduced by the, I think it was the Labor government, Keating, I think, I'm not sure, because of the double taxation, um, you know, problem. And then it was amended uh, to say that, no, no, franking refunds is even better because if your tax liability is less than what the company has already paid and your credits are more, then you get a franking refund, which is, which is, which is even better. That only affects a very, very small percentage of Australian taxpayers, you know, very, very wealthy people. Okay. Now, supposing the same situation, your marginal tax rate is only 20%, all right? So if you're a high-income earner, you've just saved 30% in taxation, which, you know, technically you've already paid that tax by the company. But let's say you're a low-income earner and you have lots and lots of share portfolios and your actual personal services income is only paying a tax of 20% marginal rate, you would have owed $200 in tax on that full dividend of $1,000, 
But remember, the company has already paid 30% tax on that $1,000 dividend and only given you $700. In other words, the company has already given you three, uh, only, only, uh, already paid $300, but you now only owe $200 because your marginal tax rate is only 20%, which means now you can go to the government or you can go to the ATO during your you know, yearly tax return time and say, well, hang on, the company has paid $300 in taxation, but my marginal tax rate, ATO, is only 20%. So really, they should have only paid $200 on my behalf. Can you please give me back the $100 in excess taxation that I have been unfairly charged? And the ATO will say, mm, yeah, you're right. We'll give you 100 bucks back. That is the beauty of franking credits, okay? This is your marginal tax rate, okay? So the aim here then is to generate more franking credits than what you own tax liability, which means you will get franking refunds, which was a contention in the previous federal election. So hopefully that sort of sums up dividends, that sums up distributions, and that also sums up franking credits and franking refunds in the context of franking dividends, okay? Now, I have to stress um, this applies to Australians. For overseas listeners, you may have a different system. So you have to go and have a look at, uh, you know, what your system is. I think not many countries have this system in place. We're very lucky to have that here. So dividends, distributions, franking credits, franking refunds. If you're completely confused after this podcast episode, research it, Google it, read about it, uh, and learn how to maximize it to your advantage when it comes to your personal finances. Now, so for the purposes of investing, though, just think about distributions as the same as dividends and franking credits, and then some, whereas dividends, if you're an individual stock investor, is just that, dividends plus or minus franking credits, depending on what the company does with the dividends. Now, think about the perils of investing only for dividends. We talked about yield-based investing, which is quite dangerous. Don't ignore capital gains over the long term. Uh, and of course, as always, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for the questions, comments, and messages. And hopefully it has helped this episode to clear up some of the doubts about distributions and dividends and franking credits, uh, which was uh, some of the comments that I've received uh, on Facebook. I'm always looking for more topics about personal finances, so feel free to share them with me. And thank you very much, because I'll learn from the questions that you ask as well. Until next time, this is Devraga of Personal Finance, episode 65. Pay attention to dividends, distributions, and capital gains. And make sure out of all of this, you pay 20% of your after-tax income to yourself and start investing and saving right now. And always stay safe. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.